is it. This is the moment he's been waiting his entire life for. As he stands on the edge of the river, Jordan, uh, the river Jordan, Joshua stands on the edge of a brand new life, a life he's prayed for, dreamed of, imagined, feared, and hoped for his entire life. As he stands on the edge of this river, getting ready to go into this promised land with all of these people he's about to lead for the first time standing behind him, he's got a number of things running through his head. But first and foremost, what's running through his head is strong and courageous. What could be running through his head is, gosh, man, I'm glad we're not, I'm glad we're not enslaved anymore. Gosh, man, I'm glad we're not going to wander in the desert anymore. Man, there was all these problems in the past, and there's all these problems in the future. But what he hears echoing in his head is, be strong and courageous. The verse we're going to talk about today is Joshua 1.9, and it's one of my favorites um, in the Bible for a number of reasons. But before we go any further, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Jess Petzel. Um, I'm on staff here at CLC. And you might not recognize me because I'm usually down with your kids, who are amazing, by the way. They're fantastic human beings, um, even when they're not always being fantastic human beings. Um, but truly, they're wonderful. Uh, so Joshua, um, Joshua comes from, um, Joshua's an Israelite. So what that means is that he serves the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, for a little bit of history lesson, um, Jacob gets renamed Israel um, later in his life, thus the Israelites. Um, Israel and his 12 sons end up in Egypt. So if you know the story of Jacob, that's what happens, or I'm sorry, um, Joseph. Jacob had Joseph, Israel, or Jacob became Israel, they go to Egypt. Um, and the Israelites are there for 300 years. And somewhere in the middle of those 300 years, um, they become slaves. And um, at the beginning, at the, when Joshua's about an adult, that's when Moses shows up and brings them out of slavery, which is another really cool story. Um, so Joshua grew up in slavery, and that's part of his story, is he's standing on this edge of the river um, as part of Joshua 1.9. So here's the verse. Um, Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Um, for those of you who don't necessarily believe the Bible and maybe don't believe that this story I'm about to share isn't fact, because um, you're either not into the God thing or the faith thing, or um, you do you do buy into the God thing, but maybe still figuring out the validity of the Bible, totally cool. Um, I think smart people um, ask smart questions, and so I'm really glad you do. If that's your, the case, though, um, I still think there's a lot to learn from this story, regardless of whether you believe it just being a story. Um, but this is my favorite verse because I feel like um, strong and courageous is not instinctive for me. I'm guessing it's not instinctive for you. A lot of times it's actually discouragement um, and fear that is our natural setting. And so there's this need to be reminded that we are strong and courageous and we can be strong and courageous because God is with us. And so um, that's, why Joshua, or that's why Joshua has to be reminded. Um, Moses has just died, and so he's the one who's led the Israelites, and now it's Joshua's turn. And so as, this, as, as he's getting ready to step out, what he's reminded of is, hey, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Um. And I think that's important because not only is the future scary, but the future is especially scary because the past has been scary. Um, again, slavery and desert wandering, maybe not an ideal life. Um, so it's, it's important to be reminded of that. Um, when I was getting ready for this sermon, I was at my parents' house, and they have a lake. And it turns out I'm good at, very good at a very limited number of things. One of the things I'm not good at is anything athletic. 
And so one of my friends was trying to teach me how to dive because I was tired of entering the water only using a cannonball. And so I'm standing there, and I've dived three or four times. And by dived, I mean I belly flopped because I dived poorly. And I'm like standing there trying to get my lizard brain to shut up. And it's like, I know it hurt last time, and so it's probably going to hurt again. And I know if I do it right, and I know if I just go for it, it's going to be fine. But in the past, it hurt, so I'm afraid it's going to hurt again. It's a really dumb story and kind of goofy story. Um, part of the reason I actually kept diving was because I knew I'd probably hear the story. I did end up, <laughs> um, and I did, I did end up learning mostly sort of kind of how to dive. Um, ask my brother, he's here, and it was really pretty funny. Um, but the point is, there are things in the past that legitimately hurt. And so that it's important to be reminded of be strong and courageous because the past had legitimate fears to it. Um, the other thing is, before we also jump back into the story of Joshua, courage, let's talk about what courage is not, what strength and courage is not. Um, first of all, it's not blind faith. Um, I had a youth group leader who loved the story from Indiana Jones and the um, pursuit of the Holy Grail quest, not pursuit, quest of the Holy Grail. And it was the part about the breath of God or the pathway of God. And it's, um, the clue book says, take a leap of faith. And so he steps out into thin air, and a bridge magically appears in front of him that has been camouflaged by the rock. And so it's actually a real bridge, and it's not thin air. Um, sometimes I feel like faith is like that. That's not what I'm pitching today. Um, courage is not always blind faith. In fact, there's a lot of things that God has done in order to build our faith, and so that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, the other thing courage is not is stupidity. Um, there's a lot of really funny YouTube videos uh, about just if you if you need a laugh for two minutes later this afternoon, Google uh, stupid failed funny on on YouTube and you'll find all kinds of crazy stuff. There was a show about it at one point. All a bunch of insurance videos right now are really cool. One of my favorites is um, a bunch of guys use the pool net to um, long jump into the pool. That's the plan. What they actually do is long jump into the table on the concrete. Again, really creative, maybe a little bit of courage, but really just, frankly, not real bright. So courage is not necessarily a, a, a lack of acknowledging all the facts um, or a, a correlated with stupidity. So um, back to Joshua on the edge of the river. So we've got uh, Joshua, one, um, Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. And I totally just goofed because my slides are not big enough. So let me grab a Bible. Um, Jordan, can you actually grab me a Bible off the table over there? That would be awesome. And so, like I said, Moses has just um, died. And so this is the part where um, Moses, oh, well, let me talk a little bit about some, some of the Bible stuff. So um, Genesis is the story of, of the Israelites up until they go into Egypt. And then um, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy are all the story from when they leave Egypt until this moment. And so it's all the story of Moses leading the Israelites as they lead out of Egypt. Thank you, Pastor. And then it's also... Um, so the beginning of Joshua is really the beginning of Joshua's story as a leader. Like I said, his story is all throughout um, Exodus and then all those other verses. So as we jump around back into the history, we'll talk, we'll talk out of those multiple books. But we start in Joshua 1.9, and I'm really glad that I teach the kids how to look up verses. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, here we go. So after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. 
as I have promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, to the Great River, all the boundaries that we joked there about because I'm going to geography today. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so you may be successful wherever you go. Keep to this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be careful to do everything written on it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Um, so here's kind of what's led up to this moment. Like I said, there's four books that Joshua also exists in. They, everybody thinks of it as the story of Moses. But like I said, Joshua was an adult when um, Moses came and brought all the Israelites out of slavery. So um, Moses' story is really also truly Joshua's story. The other thing is um, it mentions multiple times about how Joshua was Moses' assistant or Moses' servant. And so Joshua's been there for all the crazy moments of Moses' life, including things like the Ten Commandments and when he got face to face and all those kinds of things if you're familiar with Moses' story. So the first time that we, um, oh, to slavery, let's talk about slavery. So um, that Exodus 1, verses 8 through 14. And so this is a description of what slavery would have been looked like. And it's the story about how um, the Egyptians got freaked out that the Israelites are multiplying like crazy, and so they need a way to control them. Um, they need a way to control the population because they're afraid that they might rise up against them. And so, they're so the Egyptians are awful to the Israelites. And being a slave in Egypt was not, a, if you were an Israelite, was not a great place to be. And so this was Joshua's experience as a kid and then through his early adult life. Again, circumstantially, Joshua's life has not been amazing. Um, the next time we see Joshua, or the first time we see Joshua actually mentioned in the Bible is the story in Exodus 17, verse 8. Um, and so they've left, um, the Israelites have left the uh, Egypt, and they're entering the desert and kind of trying to figure out life as not slaves um, and as people of their own in kind of an odd geographic location. And um, these bad guys, whose name I'm very terrible at pronouncing, the Amalek, Amalekites, um, attack. And Joshua is the one who leads the battle against them. And so, again, we just left slavery, which is great. We're in the desert, which is super great, and we got enemies attacking us. Also not great. Again, Joshua did not come from a roses and daisies kind of life. Um, and then the next, the kind of what comes after this, they've, they kind of move, move from Egypt, they fight these, these guys, they win, and then they move on um, and get to the edge of the Jordan River. Not this time in the Jordan River that we're talking about right now in Joshua 1-9, but the time in Exodus when they get, or I'm sorry, Numbers, when they get there. And again, I will look that part up. This is what I'd encourage your kids to be like, Kristen Smith, you're paying attention. I really appreciate you. So, verse 27. Um, oh, so let's set this up. So, uh, Moses tells the, the 12 different leaders of the 12 different tribes um, to all go scout out this promised land. So, what are we getting into? Is the, really, is the land really as good as we think it is? What enemies are we going to be up in against? You know, being a good leader and saying, hey, let's, what are we getting ourselves into? And so the 12 come back and they say this. They give Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. It's a great place to be. 
Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. We saw the de- descendants of Anak, really big group, um, and the Amalekites living in the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites that live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the city along the Jordan. Lots of bad guys. Um, then Caleb silenced the people. Caleb's one of the other tel- 12, he's the leader of one of the 12 tribes. He's one of Joshua's buddies. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread out among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we, de- we explored devours those who living in it. This reminds me of Missouri where it's poison ivy and bugs will try to kill you. Um, and all the people that we saw are the great size. Um, we seem like grasshoppers even in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept out loud. The Israelites were sometimes very dramatic. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us out to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite gathered there. And Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of, yep, were who among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Um, I read further than I was supposed to, but it's a really good story, so I'm going to read it. Um, the point being, Joshua and Caleb knew that God was with them and knew the circumstances were scary, and they tried to convince everybody else that God was with them and God was bigger than the circumstances, and that didn't quite work out. The Israelites end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. Again, Joshua's life's not going great. He was the one who was strong and courageous. Him and Caleb tried to convince everybody to go, and because of everybody else's poor decisions, Joshua's stuck in the desert for 40 years with a bunch of whiny, dramatic human beings. So, um, but here's the deal. Um, Even through the slavery, the the attack, um, dealing with a bunch of less than stellar human beings, um, and then wandering in the desert. So again, circumstantially, Joshua's life's not roses and daisies. Here's the thing, though. Here's what Joshua saw. Joshua saw God's presence in the middle of all that. So let's talk through some of that. Um, in Exodus 14, again, back to when Moses was bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, first, God does a bunch of uh, um, miracles and sends plagues on the Egyptians. This is uh, Pharaoh essentially says, all right, everybody out. I'm tired of dealing with all the shenanigans. You guys, it's a great slave force, but I'm tired of dealing with your God who's just making my life difficult. Um, so he, sends, he, makes, he makes all the, the Israelites go, and Moses leads them out. And as they're leaving, um, they come to this sea. And the Egyptians realize, man, they have a really big slave force. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people if the numbers in the Bible are right, which I believe they are. Um, and so they're like, man, we should go, we should go back and get um, a large part of the economy. And so they chase after them. And the Israelites see God coming, or they, they don't see God coming. They see the, the Egyptians coming, and they're kind of like, oh, dear. God brought us out in the desert to kill us. Why didn't we just stay in Egypt? Ah! 
And Moses kind of freaks out a little bit too, and he turns to God. He says, oh, my, my, what are we going to do? And God says, what are you standing there for? Hold up the staff and open up the sea and walk across it. And they did. Um, the sea opens up. They walk on dry land. The water, the water walls are on either side of them, and they walk through the, they walk through the sea and get away from the Egyptians. Egyptians chase. The, wall, the water falls back down on them. The Egyptians kind of go, no thanks, we're done. Um, so God does this, cur- so j- j- again, that was Moses who did it, but it's part of Joshua's story because Joshua's an adult at that point, and he's following Moses. Um, then the next thing that happened is when they're in the desert, um, it's really difficult to feed actually 100,000 people, and um, their supplies from Egypt have dried up. So God knows that they need some food, and so he gives them this thing called manna. And so in Exodus 16, um, you get this stuff that shows up on the ground like goo, and it tastes a little bit like honey and some kind of seed, but I'm not sure what it is because it just says that it's there. Um, and so it's really cool. So Joshua has seen God provide literally daily. That whole daily bread thing happened for the Egypt- or happened for the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. Um, the other thing Joshua would have seen in the midst of wandering around the desert is God showed up with water. So as they were in places that didn't have oasises, there's two different experiences, one time in Exodus and one time in Numbers, where Moses um, got water out of a rock after asking God for help. And so what I think is really cool that I, that, that I see from Joshua's perspective when I read this is um, God is a God of big things, like parting the sea, but he's also a God of the, the little things, the ordinary things, like making sure you have water and bread making sure there's enough money to pay for groceries, making sure that there's um, all the things that we need to live on a daily basis. And the other thing is, um, we hear a lot about how God loves us. And um, I think that's really cool, A. Um, B, my dog loves me. And my dog can't feed me, or and she can make me really happy. Sometimes she's really obnoxious and it costs me a lot of money. Um, and, but it's not like she loves me any less. But here's the difference about God. And again, it's kind of a dumb example, but... Um, God loves me, first of all, way more than my dog does because he's just bigger and deeper and wider. But he also has the power to do something about that love. He had the power to part the sea. He had the power to feed and water his people. And, and God has that power in my life as well. And so God's a God of big things and little things, and he loves us beyond imagination, and he's powerful enough to do something about that love in the middle of less than ideal circumstances. Um. So, again, Joshua's life, circumstantially not great. He chose to see God, or he's seen God happen in the middle of the less than ideal circumstances. But here's the deal. I, I kind of was realizing that maybe wasn't enough. Joshua had to be reminded that God was there and that he could be strong and courageous. Um, there was, there's this phrase that um, I heard somebody say, and I'm sorry I don't remember who said it initially, but this idea of building your faith. Um, there are moments that God uses in our lives to say, hey, you know what? Let this build up your trust in me. Let this build up who you know I am so that you can be strong and courageous in the future. Um, and so here's some of those events. So the, those events, the river, the manna, the water, um, all those kinds of things are the events. But then the reminders for Joshua um, come a lot of times from Moses. And one of them was in Deuteronomy 3, 21 through 22. Um, and Moses reminds Joshua, hey, we've defeated these kings. Um, the two kings he's talking about are the two kings that um, he d- that had come and attacked them early in the in the 40 years of being in the desert. And, he, and Moses is like, "Hey, the God who's with you when you attack these guys will be with you when you when you um, defeat your enemies when you attack your enemies on the other side of the Jordan." Um, 
Moses reminds Joshua and the Israelites again of that in Deuteronomy 31, 1 to 7. Um, he says, hey, remember the God who brought you through all of this. Remember what he's done. So not only recognizing, but reminding you. Recognizing what God has done and then reminding ourselves of what he has done. Um, so back to the edge of the river. Um, again, Joshua's been on the edge of the Jordan River before. He's actually been on, on the other side of the Jordan River. He knows how good the land is. He also knows how problematic it is. Um, there's nothing in, in, the, in chapter 2, he'll send some other scouts um, to go see if the land is still as plentiful and as problematic as it was 40 years ago. Um, and it is. And um, there's not a lot that's changed from 40 years ago when he was standing with his peers on the edge of the Jordan. There's a whole new generation because it's, um, so everybody who, who was an adult who was at the Jordan last time other than Joshua, Caleb is dead. Um, and so it's a whole new generation. So it's the generation under Joshua that he's leading to the Jordan now. Um, but again, not much has changed from the time that his peers versus the next generation were standing on the edge of the Jordan. You still got enemies. You still got a really bountiful land. You still got problems. Um, and, and the thing is, Joshua, I imagine, wants a promised land, but all he's known is slavery in the desert. And, and all the people that he's leading know is desert. And you know what? Desert's not great, but at least we're used to it. Is it really worth the pain and suffering for some people? Is it really, is it really worth being strong and courageous to, get, to, to leave the desert? Manna's pretty cool. I mean, that's why manna doesn't taste terrible. I mean, imagine it would get old, but... I mean, it's bread that shows up on the ground. You don't have to work for every day. Um, but again, Joshua's seen a river part, or he's seen a sea part, so God should be able to handle the Jordan River. Because, by the way, they can't walk across it. The Jordan River's big and deep, and it's, like, amazing. It's a horrible river. Um, but God has, passed, has parted a, a body of water before so he could part this one. He's defeated enemies before so he could defeat the ones on the other side. And so what Joshua has echoing in his head is be strong and courageous because the Lord, the Lord who's done all these things and been with you, is with you. Um, again, we talked about courage is not blind faith or stupidity. Courage is the option of not being afraid, of not being motivated by fear. And it's not that courage is like the lack of fear. Again, I think that has more to do with stupidity than anything else. Courage is the option to be solid within that fear. Um, when I look up strength and courage, they're strongly correlated with the word solid. And so courage and strength is the ability to remain solid, regardless of the past and regardless of the future. Not in ignorance of the past or the future, because again, legit fear. But solid, because God is with us. Um, I know a number of people who can be strong and courageous without God. Uh, so I'm not at all saying that that's it, totally impossible. Um, I really like what one of my brothers says. Um, he goes, my name is ironically Joshua. And Joshua's a relatively capable human being. Um, I might be biased because he's my brother, but he's also my brother, so I know him. Um, and Joshua says this thing. He says, you know what? I can do Joshua-sized things on my own, but I can do God-sized things with God. And that's what I want for you guys. That's what I want for me is God-sized courage, strength. God-sized courage and strength. Um, so what's your story? What has happened in your life that can build your faith? Where has God been, it, been there for you? And that's super audacious for me to ask. I'm the one with the mic on the stage with all the, the ability to ask crazy audacious questions, and I recognize it is. Um, but I also, I, and, and some of you I know, and some of you I know your stories, and they're not, um, again, they're not roses and daisies. 
Um, but some of you I know that that's the bad moments in God's life. And others of you I, I, I haven't even met yet today. So I don't know you and I don't know your story. But I know God. And I know that God has done something in your life that makes him closely trustworthy to you. And what is it? My story. Um, so for those of you who know, um, I've been around CLC for about two years. Prior to that, I actually worked as a salesperson in the moving business. Moving as in people from point A to point B, not movie as in on the screen. Um, and it was really glorious. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I don't know if you know this, but salespeople make good money. And um, so when somebody says, hey, you want to come work for the church, that's a little bit of a different pay scale. And so when I was telling some of my friends, hey, I'm going to go do this thing you've been praying about going and doing this whole church thing, they're like, really? You That's a numbers, black and white. We need those things. Um, and, you know, frankly, it wasn't all that much of a decision, um, partly because of the circumstances. There was a number of things circumstantial, but this just made the most perfect sense. Um, but it was also one of those, it was, it was a little bit like standing on the edge of a journey for me. Um, I'd been here before. And just kind of like jo- just like kind of like Joshua, um, my parents have been have had some major stories. So um, I grew up moving a whole ton before Colorado. Um, I'd never lived in one place longer than four years, and the shortest distance we'd moved was 300 miles. Um, so I get the I don't get the desert thing, but the wandering around thing I got. And moving is not fun. If you do it once across town, across the street, not great. Gets even less fun when you go 300 miles. And it's just it's all the like, where the heck are the light switches and where do they all turn on? And the pain in the neck, I like bricks. I love bricks. And, but those things are a bugger to move. And they're a bugger to re- reset up. And it, then there's the making friends and finding a church and all the fun things of moving. You guys get it. Most of you have moved in the past. And I still remember God being with us in, in a lot of different little details. I loved exploring new libraries. It took a hot second, but I just loved exploring new libraries. And somehow God always managed to work out a new group of friends, and a good job for my dad. Speaking of my dad, the reason that we moved so much is because of my dad's job. And not dad got promoted. Dad got, like, fired. <laughs> um, because he did the right thing, and that pissed somebody off. Or um, earlier in his career, he worked for a bunch of little companies, and he would quit right before they would let him go because the company was going under. And so there was this sense of almost getting kicked out from each place that we left. And, yeah, it was cool to go from one place to the other to have a wider experience, and now I'm, not, I'm okay with making new friends, even though I'm a little bit of an introvert sometimes, if you didn't know. Um, but there was also this moment of kind of every time we moved, God got, Dad got a slightly better job. And, again, it always worked out. The finances always worked out. My parents didn't make a ton of money. I realized looking back why they were so skinny. I was like, oh, because you didn't have money for groceries. All right, cool. I never remember being hungry, but I definitely, I was just like, yeah, y'all. Pictures make more sense now, now that I'm an adult and I understand numbers. Um, but God always worked it out. Um, and I'm a really pretty practical person. Um, I joke with Joshua, uh, with Josh, who's the lead pastor here. You'll hear from him in a bit. And then Jake, who's the drummer um, and also on staff. And I joke, I'm, li- I'm like the least romantic, emotional person on staff. Um, but I did have this kind of one experience with God that was kind of cool. I was laying in my room. It was, I had my own room for the first time, which was wonderful. Um, and I, my bed was set up, and my bed was made. My books are still in boxes, but that's okay. We got the bed. And I'm laying there, and I just remember thinking, hmm, what is something that God says I could write? And the moon happened to be shining in. And so the moon is now a reminder of that moment where, yeah, 
still does this with tones of blue. Sometimes he really feels like he's doing it. And that's a really cool feeling. And I definitely don't always have that feeling by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but the moon is kind of a reminder for me that, hey, God's always with us. And that God is always with me. Um, and that he loves me beyond my imagination. And he's got the ability to work out all the details, including the moves, including working at a church, and including whatever comes next. Um, and that was what was cool about, again, about Joshua's story, is even though there was so many situations, God was there, and there was things to remind Joshua that God was there, and that God would be there in the future. Um, again, courage is not extinctive. In, in distinctive? It is distinctive. Courage is not instinctive. It is not our natural tendency, at least it's not mine. My natural tendency when, when facing something big or small that's scary, that's legitimately scary, is to be discouraged, not form the courageous. Um, again, when Josh was standing on the Jordan's edge, the circumstances didn't change from the first time to the second time. What changed was everyone's perspective. The first generation versus the second generation. One was just concerned with the circumstances. And again, I'm not negating the circumstances. Just because you're a Christian or just because I'm a Christian and God lives in me doesn't mean all of a sudden everything got magical. When Joshua crosses the river into, in, uh, when Joshua crosses the Jordan and goes into the promised land, the first thing they're going to hit is this massive city of Jericho. And you can still see, like, you can still see the archaeological leftovers of Jericho. And it's huge. And it didn't just magically melt in front of the Israelites. There were some cool miracles that happened, but the Israelites had to do something about it for at least a week before God did something. And then they fought battle after battle after battle after battle. Now, they won the vast majority of the time, um, but there was still a fight. Just because God called me to work at TLC and, to, and not make a ton of money as a salesperson for a while doesn't mean all of a sudden the finances magically worked out. Now, if we're going to eat lunch today and bills still get paid and all those kinds of things, I'm not financially problematic. I just feel like that might be how that sounded. Um, but the, rea the reality did change. Like, the numbers in the bank account did change. That noth nothing, God didn't magically write me a $100,000 check that just showed up in the bank account or underneath my bed. Circumstances don't necessarily change. What was different from the first generation to the second generation was that they saw God in their circumstances. And the God who parted the sea could part the Jordan. And the God who had conquered their enemies would conquer their enemies. The God who provided my dad a job would provide him a job. The God that provided um, me and my family friends in one place would provide me friends in another place. Again, courage is not necessarily a leap of faith. Indiana Jones makes a great movie and a really crummy life. There is no jumping off the edge of a bridge. What has God done in your life that makes you trustworthy in the past and thereby makes you trustworthy in the future? What if? What if we didn't let what we've been afraid of in the past determine our future? What if not in spite of, but in the face of legitimate past fears, we chose to believe in a God who loves us and is able to do something about that love. What if we chose to be strong and courageous because God loves us and that God who loves us is with us? 
what if? 